0: Finally, we exist. This is the podcast that talks about men's and women's sports equally. We'll talk about the big games and we'll sprinkle in a little trash talk here and there. And we will confront the inequality of sport. We are produced by Homestand Sports. Check out homestandsports.com for more news. And check out some of our podcasts and upcoming events like Hoop Talks, Puck Talks, and Pitch Talks. On this episode of Finally, Sportsnet Magazine's Christina Rutherford joins us to talk about her brand new book, Level the Playing Field. In her book, Rutherford breaks down the past, present, and future of women's sports with stories and interviews from today's elite athletes. We also talk about Sportsnet Magazine's final issue, but we cannot stop talking about Level the Playing Field and how inspiring of a book it is for any young athlete in your life. With Christmas around the corner, this could be the gift that opens the window of opportunity for any sports-minded daughter, niece, cousin, sister, or friend in your life. You can find the book with more information on Amazon.ca. Your book and my podcast basically share the same playing field, no pun intended. Tell me about Level the Playing Field, please. All
1: right. Well, it's published by Owl Kids. It came out just a couple months ago um, and it's targeted for kids who are, I would say, 8 to maybe 14 or 15. Um, that said, my, my dad read it and he learned a lot, too. So I think it's for really anyone. But the, the aim of the book is sort of to explain to kids why the professional sports landscape looks the way it does why do men make so much more money than women do? Why is it often that you don't see women playing sports on television? Um, and also how far the movement has come, what what it could look like in the future, that sort of thing. So why did you choose to aim your book at children? I think a lot of it was, so it was Owl's idea, actually, this book. Um, and it really struck a chord with me because I grew up playing hockey Um, And I dreamt of playing in the NHL. I mean, when I was when I was a kid, there wasn't a professional women's league. Um, And I never had anything really to explain to me why things were the way they were. You know, I didn't have somebody explain to me why I couldn't watch women play hockey on TV. And I didn't understand that that's why things were the way they were, you know. So I think that's really what I wanted to do to sort of lay out for kids this is why things look the way they do and and also to tell them a lot of this is the ball is kind of in their in their court so to speak like a lot of the the future changes that we're going to see
0: it starts with with kids their age Right. And even in the synopsis of the book, you're going to the root of these issues and you're not going to get change with people that are past their prime or they can't do too much about getting into pro sports at this point because they're just enjoying what's already there. The children are the future and they can yeah. impose the change. Absolutely. Yeah. And I
1: think um, what I wanted to do with this book, first and foremost, was to get the, the voices of the people professional athletes in there um so there are interviews with Indy park who won olympic gold um just a few months back there's um an interview with Kathy campbell who's won several olympic gold medals for canada in hockey um there's danica patrick race car driver there's caroline wozniacki uh, tennis player um elena del dunn wmba mvp um so there's a ton of voices in there um, from these women and they're explaining, you know, what it is like to be in their shoes and how far this women's pro sports movement has come. And I think, um, it's easy to look at women's pro sports and say, okay, Sydney Crosby makes more in a single day than Amanda Kessel makes to play all season in the national women's hockey league. But you can also look at that and say, okay, up until Two years ago, women in North America weren't being paid a dime to play hockey, and now they are. So it's sort of baby steps, right? And it's going to take a long time. And a lot of these men's pro leagues they are institutions. They've been a they have been around for a hundred years. Um, and leagues like the WNBA is twenty years old. So it's—it's it's a baby in comparison
0: to the NBA. You're so right, and it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Big changes take a long time to happen. And I'm just looking and thinking about all the women that you got a chance to speak to. And you have spoken to the biggest female athletes in their respective sports. What was their take or their, their reaction when they were approached to talk about this book? That's, that to me was the best part. I
1: didn't have an athlete say, no, I don't have time. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about females in professional sport. They feel, I don't know if it's an obligation, but they naturally become ambassadors because they want to grow their sport. They want to see the next generation be paid more and be on television more and have more opportunity. So they they naturally become ambassadors. But um, I mean, overall, talking to somebody like Cassie Campbell, so I grew up playing hockey. I grew up kind of idolizing Cassie Campbell, although she's not that much older than I am. Um, But what really resonated with me was when she was talking about how she watched the first women be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And she just thought, oh my goodness, look at how far we've come. Like when she was growing up in the 70s, there was no Olympic dream for women who wanted to play hockey. She was looking to the NHL as the only real viable place for her to play. and in her lifetime, so much has happened and so much more is going to happen, right? So I think overall, it was a really hopeful message that I got from all of the athletes I spoke with, with regard to how how far things have
0: come. You are, in a sense, female athletes do have an extra responsibility because they're, they're trailblazers, every single one of them, because of what little is out there and how much potential there is to grow. Were there other interviews that really struck you?
1: Yeah, I think um, speaking with Elena Della Dunn, WNBA player, um, she was talking about how a lot of her her fellow, her teammates and, and other women in the league, they go to China in the off-season because you can sign a million-dollar contract and play in China. Um, and she said she doesn't do that. She doesn't go to China. She doesn't go to Turkey. She doesn't play in these leagues that pay a lot more than the WNBA does. And part of the reason is she wants to rest in the off-season. But another part of the reason is because she wants to grow the sport at home. So she stays in the U.S. and she you know, poses for ads and she, yeah, she's in Nike ads um, and she promotes the league because she feels that's part of her job. Um, so
0: that really resonated with me for sure. Do you feel like men who are also in Elena's position where she was, she is one of the top female basketball players in the world, MVP, do they, mm-hmm. do you feel like male athletes have that same obligation? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't.
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Uh, Yeah, If if you look at it, LeBron James makes 300 times what Elena makes for a season. He doesn't. I'm sure it's he's kind of rejecting interviews, you know, like he he doesn't need to invite this attention, whereas she does to get people to watch. She does like it's it's new enough um, and it's not on television as much and the sponsors aren't there, and the advertising dollars aren't there, and the TV dollars aren't there. And so it's the athletes that really,
0: they have to help grow this movement. Did any of the athletes tell you about stories or any anecdotes about how inspired they can be watching younger fans just absolutely look up to them, and it just brings them back to reality, like, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for the future athletes to come. For
1: sure. I think almost every athlete I spoke to talked about watching the next generation on the driving range. Um and and not seeing I mean, Inby Park was the only kid only girl her age on the driving range when she was younger, and now she's seeing scores of little girls on the driving range. Um, and yeah, and they all understand that they have a, a role in that and a part in that in inspiring the next generation. And the more The more athletes you see in her position, you know, former world number one, just won Olympic gold, um, won three majors in one year, the more, the more kids are inspired to do what she does. Right. So it's sort of this, it's almost like popularity is breeding popularity and the more kids are seeing, um, the better, right. I always
0: heard that golf stood for gentlemen, only ladies forbidden. (laughs) Would you say that golf was the hardest or, yeah, is the hardest sport for females to crack? I don't think so, actually. I think the
1: LPGA Tour and um, the professional women's tennis tour, I think those are the two most well-established and almost most equal. Certainly tennis is in terms of equal pay for women compared to men, Um, although I mean, Wimbledon didn't start paying its female winner the same as its male winner until 2007, which to me is like that's archaic, the fact that it took that long. Um, And some tournaments still don't. So, yeah, you come across a lot of sort of depressing little facts like that as you're doing research. But I think because the LPGA Tour, if I'm, I think was founded in the 1970s. So it's one of the older um, professionally run women's sports organizations out there. And as a result, it has one of the bigger followings. I mean, it's, it's peanuts compared to the PGA tour, but they offer millions of dollars, um, in prize money. Um, so I think actually it's one of
0: the easier ways for a female athlete to make money. My dad did always tell me to make sure you pick up golf just in case because it was (laughs) lucrative. It is lucrative. And you mentioned part of the book that certain women along the way, like Billie Jean King, who fought Mm -hmm. for tennis and equality in tennis, we wouldn't female sports wouldn't be where it is today without people like that. So were, were there anything that, was there anything that you found out about women like Billie Jean King that you didn't know before that really surprised or shocked you? Um, I knew a fair bit about like Billie Jean King is such a legend
1: but I, I read a little bit more about the Battle of the Sexes. I read a lot about the Battle of the Sexes. So, her epic tennis match when she took on Bobby Riggs, um, and the whole world was watching. And I knew that she'd won that match. And I knew that, that Bobby was this retired, sort of chauvinistic player who had said that women don't have the, the fortitude, and she's not going to beat me because she's a girl. All this garbage. Um, but what I didn't realize was how massive that win was for women, everyone who are fighting for equality at home, at work, you know, in every, in every arena of life, really, so to speak. So, um, that, that definitely resonated with me. And I think that's one of the, the most important things about this book. Um, and I do feel kind of awkward talking about it because I wrote it, but, um, I think it's important because the the old, overall message is about equality, right? Like it's about sport, but at the end of the day, it's about equality between genders. And I think that's something, that's something we're still struggling with in a lot of areas and in a lot of countries around
0: the world, for sure. Right. If leagues are, if tennis only paid uh, female tennis players or Wimbledon, sorry, paid female tennis players equally only in 2007, there's a lot of things that need to catch up. Yeah, that shocked me. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure, were there anything? Was there anything else that really shocked you, like a fact like that? Um, I think it, so. There's
1: there's five chapters, and one of them deals with money. I found that the most interesting and also the most depressing. Um, I it did shock me to kind of really look at salaries and and discover, yeah, LeBron James does times what and anybody in the WNBA makes. Um, that shocked me. And also, um, the last chapter sort of looks at the future and the number of women in front offices and coaching, even in, in women's professional sport is so small compared to the number of men who are in those positions. I think that's something that really needs to start to change. And I do think, um, the reason we see so few women there is because there have been so few women there in the past. You know, there haven't been those examples. Um, You haven't seen a woman as a head coach of an NHL team, you know? So um, I hope that's something we see in the future. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a a crystal ball. Is that what you use? I don't know. (laughs) To look and see, but yeah, I would love to see that in the future.
0: Who knows? Well, we're getting close. There's a few assistants in the Mm -hmm. NHL, NFL. There's even one, an assistant coach. She's the first one to be an assistant in the NBA D League, and she's in Mississauga now. So, you're getting there. It takes
1: time, right? I I think that was a a big message, too. I spoke with um, Dr. Nancy Loff, who's She works in the U.S. I forget what college she works. It might be UNLV, actually. It was a long time ago that I did a lot of the research for this book. But um, she was talking about how this takes time. Like, it really is a societal shift. It's not like you snap your fingers and suddenly there's a ton of money and a ton of interest and a ton of talent, right? Like, it it will take years, and it has taken years. So you have to be
0: patient, although that's difficult. you got to be patient. Right. And that's why you've aimed your book at the children, because they will shape society different from what it is right now.
1: Yeah, that's the hope for sure. And just to, yeah, really to explain to children that this is why things are the way they are and that, yeah, you have a hand in changing this. Like the ball's in your court. Molly, if you're in grade two and you love soccer and you want to play pro soccer, there's a league right now for women that will pay you to play soccer, which was not the case when we were growing up, you know? Right. Um, so that's huge. And what is it going to look like when Molly's in grade 12? You know, it might be, she might be making $100,000 to play soccer in the US. Like, we don't know. But um, yeah, it's certainly come a long way. That's for sure.
0: But even if it does go even further, which is the hope and Obviously, the way things are looking now, there's no nowhere else to go but up. But when women final, women athletes finally get to where they want to be, do you think that the stereotypes that female athletes have been fighting to overcome will go will fall as the leagues rise? Hmm. I would I
1: would like to say yes, but I don't know. There is that's such an ingrained thing in our culture that it's so archaic but this idea that you know women aren't powerful or they shouldn't be strong they shouldn't have big muscles you still hear that garbage now so it's hard it's hard to say but you you look at somebody like Rhonda Rousey um she's been amazing just in her ad campaigns talking about how important it is to be strong and how strong is beautiful you're seeing more and more ads like that and i think that resonates right that resonates with kids that hopefully resonates with even older generations too um but it's hard to say because those stereotypes are so ingrained and they're
0: yeah i don't know when eugenie bouchard <laughs> was asked to twirl by a reporter right come on
1: come on blood boiling i know and i yeah it's it's yeah i don't it's even know where right? to go you're on speechless that. exactly <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, we're here to do a job. How is that still happening? This is what blows my mind. Like, even the last, maybe it was two Winter Olympics ago, they were, one of the concerns about introducing um, ski jumping for women was that it would harm their reproductive systems. Like, there's been no
0: evidence that that is actually a thing, you know? And yet in some countries, (laughs) majority of the governments are male-dominated and they decide whether or not women can get abortions or not, please.
1: Oh, yeah. Or just decide whether they can participate at all or watch sports. Like it's illegal for women to watch sports in some
0: countries. Are you serious? That blows my mind.
1: Yeah, that blows my mind.
0: Did you learn that as you were writing your book?
1: I'd, I'd read about it in Saudi Arabia before, but, yeah, I, I learned a little bit more about it, for sure. It's in, the, it's in the last chapter. Like, there's a lot of hurdles when it comes to equality in sport. And if you ask me the one thing I would change, I, like, I don't know if I would say pay them more or if I would just say let them play everywhere. I don't know if one would lead to the other, you know what I mean? But that's definitely... A massive concern. Um, I think it was Saudi Arabia that sent its first female participant to the Olympics at the last Olympics, um, only because the last summer Olympics, only because the IOC said they would not allow the men to go if they didn't have a female participant. And that's, you know, 1896 was the first Olympics, and it, it took till 2014 for them to send their first female participant. Like, we were saying this stuff takes time
0: now that would have been a great sportsnet magazine feature wouldn't it right yeah absolutely you mentioned earlier that sportsnet magazine is coming out with its final issue yes it is
1: our last issue um it comes out actually today thursday um and yeah, we'll we'll still be doing long form journalism on Sportsnet.ca, which is great, but we won't have the the magazine product that we currently do. So yeah, this is our swan song, last magazine ever, for now. What?
0: So which stories <laughs> did you write about in the final magazine? So I have a
1: feature on Brent Burns, um, and actually, I approached that one. I wanted to do. And this is totally against what I normally do, but I wanted to do something a little more serious about Brent Burns because everything we know about Brent Burns, you know. fencing for for the San Jose Sharks, massive beard, crazy suits, owns a lot of snakes, carries a backpack. Like, he's he's totally wild, right? Like, he's been bit by a cheetah. So how am I going to try and make this a serious interview? I have to ask him what it's like to get bit by a cheetah. And then we started talking about RVing, and the story's all over the place. So... Um, yeah, that's in the Swan Song. There's an interview with Gary Bettman in there. And then there's a feature on Harrison Brown, who Harrison Brown plays in the National Women's Hockey League and identifies as male. So he's the first athlete or the first hockey player, I should say, professional hockey player ever um, to play transgender. So, yeah, I, I think that was an important one for sure.
0: Going back to Brent Burns, I'm looking at pictures <laughs> of him now and hearing the fact that he got bit by a cheetah. He sounds right? like he should be in the Dos Equis, the most interesting man in the world commercials.
1: I know. And the thing is, I've read I've read that Brent Burns is the most interesting player in the NHL story about 20 times. And so I said, I'm not writing that story. I'm going to write a I'm going to write about how he's 31. He's probably in the middle of the best season of his career, in the midst of, I should say, the best season of his career. How is he doing this? And we kind of get to that, but then we also talk about RVing and working out in Walmart parking lots um, and biking in the mountains and how cool it is to just look at bison and how much he loves animals and
0: coffee. It's all over the place. It takes a special person to work out in a Walmart parking lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? But
0: you you do what you got to do,
1: right? He was RVing across the country in the off season and lots of room in those parking lots,
0: right? Right. They are massive mm-hmm. even here. Now, going back yeah. to doing what you have to do, Harrison Brown, that is a very polarizing story. When did he come forward and and officially say that he identifies as male? So that was at the beginning of this
1: season. Um, he approached the NWHL and he just said, I'm not going to have my I'm not going to have my hormone therapy. I'm not going to have my gender reassignment surgery. So Harrison Brown is still in the body of a woman. Um, and I'd like to continue to play hockey in the National Women's Hockey League. But I'm I would like to be referred to as male and change my name on the roster. So basically. The choice that Harrison Brown is making, he's known since he was in high school, early high school, that he's in the wrong body. So he's been struggling with this almost his entire life. He's felt, I mean, he's felt since he was seven, he said. But um, he's known what he wants to do in terms of having this surgery since he was maybe 16. So he's 23 years old now. And he's also grown up wanting to play professional hockey and hockey was was sort of his comfort zone when he wasn't feeling like himself. Um, he turned to hockey, and he really threw himself into the sport. He played for the national team when he was 17 years old and then known as Haley Brown. Um, so he has to choose between these two things. He's basically he's choosing between his love of hockey and his desire to be a professional and his desire to be in the body he thinks he should have been born with. So I don't know anybody else that's ever had to face that decision, especially at at 23 years old, ever. But at 23 years old, that's massive. So that's where he is right now, and he's decided he wants to play in the NWHL, um, where he makes $7,000 for a season. His salary, along with everybody else's, was just cut in half. um, And he's putting off the surgery, the hormones. So,
0: That sounds like the biggest... That sounds like the biggest crossroads that that any person can imagine. For the Buffalo Butte, so I went
1: down to Buffalo um, and I saw him play and I spoke to him at a Starbucks. And normally for interviews, I will, obviously I'm always prepared and I'll write down questions, but I, did, I didn't even look at my notebook. Like I just had a billion natural questions for him, you know? Um, with regard to what he's gone through and how he told his parents, like, can you imagine sitting your parents that you feel like you're in the wrong body? I mean, oh my gosh, heartbreaking. So he's been through a lot, but he, he does feel like there's this big weight off his shoulders that now, um, you know, most people know that he's at least in the hockey world that he is identifying as a he, um, and they're not misgendering him. But it's very different. Like in a coffee shop, um, often people refer to him as she. So he's still dealing with that stuff, but he's willing to put up with that so that he can play professional hockey.
0: Was it a very emotional conversation in the coffee shop? He was, his his girlfriend was there as well,
1: and she, her eyes welled up a couple times. Like it was, it was pretty emotional, and he's very open, um, which I applaud him for. And a lot of it is because... He wants kids that are in his position or families that are going through what he's going through um, to kind of get a, a bit of an education about what it's been like for him. Um, yeah, maybe there's a 12-year-old kid right now or why she is feeling the, the way they are, um, and they can read Harrison Brown's story. So he's he's doing tons of interviews. He's been very open. He's very articulate. Um, he's funny. I mean, a lot of people I spoke to for the article just said there's, there's not a better person that we could have as sort of the ambassador for this because of how open he is um,
0: to talking about it. The NWHL has been incredibly supportive of Brown. Would you expect the league to be that supportive or would you expect some leagues to step back?
1: That's the thing. So he and Carly, his girlfriend, were saying they weren't sure what to expect. So he emailed um, the president of the league and, and heard back almost immediately, he just said, I would like to identify this way, um, use he as a pronoun instead of she, um, and, and Harrison heard back almost right away, and it was very positive, and the NWHL is now working on adopting a policy for transgender players, which I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't think anybody knows yet, but they're sort of drawing up a policy so that transgender players understand maybe your hormones, maybe your level of your, your transition, um, are you able to help in the national women's hockey?
0: A lot of changes, a lot of changes coming for all sorts of minorities and not just female athletes. It sounds like your book could be this, the next step for inclusion of a lot of different things with sport coming up for many years to come and generations. So I'm very glad that we were able to talk about that today.
1: Me too, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Finally. Don't forget to check us out at homestandsports.com. And you can find me on social media at Nat underscore And I'd love to hear your comments and thoughts on today's show. So please give us a rating and hopefully we can work that into our next show. See you next time.